Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Find Your Finish Line, presented by Kiriat Performance Series, the official medical supplier of Ironman. I'm Mike Riley, your host, and this podcast is not only about you being able to find your finish line at an event or at a race, but also in life. We have to find that every day, don't we? I'll be talking with successful people from all backgrounds about their inspiring stories in both life and in sports, and how they overcame some stuff, how they are and where they're at today, and hopefully it'll inspire you to be the better you. Well, there he is, our guest. Hello, Lionel Sanders. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, Mike. How are you, man? I'm great. Lionel hails from Canada, but you're you're in Tucson now, aren't you? We are in Tucson, yes, and we actually sold the Canada house. It closes on June oh. 25th, so we uh, will be here, as far as I can tell, for a while. Well, is the uh, Canadian market as hot as the, the California market? There's no inventory, so houses were selling yeah. fast. Yeah, actually, where I'm from in Windsor, you'd, you'd never believe it, but I think a lot of people are selling their houses in Toronto and moving to Windsor about three hours south. So it's literally our house doubled in value in four years. So it was kind of, uh, I, I have this place here in Tucson, not going to that place there. So uh, it made sense. Well, good for you. Yeah, I, I grew up in Toledo and Detroit, and we'd go up to Windsor to party, as I think I told yeah. you once before. Sin, Sin City of Canada. <laughs> I swear, I thought, <laughs> I, you know, you said, you'd say, oh, I'm going to a different country. But it was really like you were going to Germany. It was seemed so yeah. far away, but yet it was so close. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. All right, well, congratulations on your... Uh, Ironman 70.3 North American Championship, St. George win. It was uh, a, a spectacle. It was something to see. I, I've seen a lot of finishes at races over the years, and I've seen a lot of people, you know, go down and be, but I swear, you look like it was all over. I get like, yell, get me the oxygen. I, I can't <laughs> breathe anymore. I can't. You're laying down on the ground with Sam Long. Uh, that That had to be an experience where, Digging that deep this early in the season, did you think you could go there? Well, to be honest with you, I've never fallen on the ground at the end of a race ever oh. in my entire career. I, I almost fell in Kona 2017, but I caught myself. Yes, you so did. that was my first time ever falling. So, uh, I mean, that, yeah, that should show you how <laughs> I've done, I don't know, 100 pro races or so. And I've never fallen, but this time I did. So, yeah, I took myself to the limit. Well, Sam took me to the limit. I didn't really want to go there, but he took me there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I don't know if I, I'm still processing it. When you, when you go, literally, we pretty well swam together, biked together, and ran 13 miles together. Uh, and, and no one wanted to give anyone an inch. It's just, it's something that I'll never forget. And it's, it's the reason why I do this sport, really. I mean, you know, the, the ones where you win easy, yeah, it's good for your sponsors and stuff, but you don't really get much out of it, you know, and the ones that you have to work for, and even sometimes you come up on the losing end. Those are the ones that you, that you cherish forever and that make you a better person on the other side. Yeah. And I've talked to so many great champions that talk about their second and third place finish at a particular event because they dug so deep in the well and they were very proud of themselves. So it's not always about that first place, but you know, it, you know, when I watch and ran in the past and marathon 
People would say, oh, the guy was with me and I put a surge in. But it wasn't like you and Sam were surging one another. You were just both running an incredible pace. I mean, I felt like I was sprinting for like the final three miles because he he truly, he says he's the best downhill runner in the sport and I would agree with him. And I really had to take myself out of my comfort zone because he came by me with about six miles to go, right around halfway. And he went by so fast. It was like, oh, wow, the race is over. That That's that's it. Fortunately, though, we had a turnaround and then we had to go back uphill. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that must have been a surge or something because then I got back in. I actually started to put a gap into him. But then I started to notice on all these downhills, the, 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 the speed with which this guy could take the downs was absolutely amazing. And I think maybe a little piece of me with hindsight, because I, I had been dealing with this for the last year or so, a little bit of tendonitis in my knee. I think a little piece of me was, was, ca- was being very cautious. So then I basically said, I mean, if you want to win this thing, you can't have any caution whatsoever. So once I got that through my head, and I really lengthened out my my stride and just let my let gravity do the work. Then at least I was able to catch or, or, or hang on with him. But it truly took me out of my my comfort zone, like in every facet of the comfort zone. And uh, yeah, I felt like I was sprinting. Fortunately, hearing him, you know, do a post race <laughs> analysis after he he was sprinting, so yeah. <laughs> I don't feel so I don't feel so bad about it. Um, and yeah, it was just, it just panned out the way, the way it panned out. We went through an aid station with, I don't know, half a mile to go. And I was like, obviously I'm not going to take a drink. Like what's the point in taking a drink? And he took a drink and a little gap opened up and it wasn't cause I did anything. It was just because he, you know, slowed down ever so slightly to take a drink. And then, uh, like I felt that gap open. I didn't do anything. And then when he didn't close the gap, then I was like, well, maybe this is the moment. And so then I put a little pressure on and the gap opened a little more and then I, I truly did lay down the all out. I had nothing left and I just went as, as hard as I possibly could. And, uh, I rested for like ever so slightly through this roundabout with about, I don't know, 300 right. meters to go. And I kind of looked out of the corner of my eye that he was, he was at the beginning of the roundabout. I was at the end and I was like, he could close this. This guy is so good at running downhill that he could close this. So I just, I had to just keep going as, as hard as I possibly could. And, Fortunately, the finish line wasn't too far away because if it was, I was probably going to collapse before the finish line. But fortunately, we made it to it. Well, I have to tell you, it was a beautiful thing to see. And when you see two warriors like that battling one another and and uh, it's almost like you wish you both could come out on top because of the effort that was put in. But it was it was a fantastic race. And congratulations again. If you don't mind, I'd like to go. I'd like to go back back a little bit. You know, I'm not one to talk about the past a lot because I always believe our best memories are the ones about ready to come for us. But uh, you went through a tough time because I get a lot of messages from people and athletes about, you know, they're going through a tough time. A lot of them are addicted to this or that. And what ends up happening is they try to find something else in their life in a positive nature. And it's well documented that, you know, you went through addictions and we're, we're living a lifestyle that you know, you knew in your heart wasn't the lifestyle you wanted to live, but it was what was around you. And, and all of a sudden, you decided one day, you know, go for a run. It, did it click that fast? Because some people tell you, oh, it took me two years to do this and do that. You know, when you were down in the dumps and, and not knowing what your future was going to be, for some reason, did you find out or say in your mind, my future might be just go for a run, let's see what happens? Oh, I mean, well, that's a long story. You're going into the, the depths of my uh, <laughs> of my mind. 
Um, I mean, that whole thing started off very innocently. You know, I was just a kid partying, really. And I didn't I didn't think anything of it. And I went down that pathway. And uh, at some point, and I don't know when that happened, it switched from just, you know, having fun and partying with your friends to to a negative aspect, to a negative thing. Like I was starting to like, uh, you know, like kind of drain my sorrows in, in a way. I, I started to feel um, insecure with myself. And I just went further and further down that pathway into that, into that lifestyle. And, uh, really I was just like medicating at some point I was just medicating myself and I was the only highs I was getting in life were, were highs from, from substances. And I mean that when you're, when you're there, that that's not good. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I went down that pathway for several years and that's where I ended up. And, um, you know, fortunately I had remembered experiences that were positive that didn't come from substances. And it just so happened that running was one of those things, um, that I had fond memories, something that I was competent at, you know, as a youngster, I was competent at running and, and I did track meets and cross country and I had, you know, small success and, yeah. uh, you know, made me feel good about myself. And so I, I think that's why when I was kind of, you know, down in the dumps and, and having no direction, I think that's why the natural thing that popped into my head was to go for a run. And I did that on November 5th, 2009. And, and I, and I went and it was night, you know, I was like severely social phobic and didn't go outside during the day. And I went for a run at like midnight through a graveyard. And, uh, it was just, uh, you know, it was like a transformative experience and, you know, it, things don't happen overnight, of course. Um, I still, I still was living in, in this, these environments. I still had a lot of in negative influences around me, but that was definitely the beginning of the change. Um, and basically a month went by and I ran, you know, pretty well every single day for a month. I don't know why, but I logged all this stuff strangely. <laughs> and I, I still have that old log Wow. and I, you know, I was running like five kilometers a day for, for approximately a month. And, and I still, you know, I was definitely getting better, but I still felt like I needed more. And then that's how Ironman came into my life. And I just, I had this weird idea to do an Ironman just popped into my head and Googled what it was. And, and then, you know, fortunately my mom gave me the credit card. I told her I have this crazy idea. I want to devote myself to doing an Ironman triathlon. And, uh, and you know, she said, do you really, you really think you can do something like that? And, and I was like, I know it doesn't seem that way right now that I could do that, but I think if I devote myself to it, I, I will be able to do it. And I think it is going to, it's going to take me where I want my life to go. And so then I signed up for the race and, and really I've been following that journey ever since. That is, you know, the, the amazing part about that story, what's remarkable to me is you remembering that exact date because we go through life obviously remembering birthdays anniversaries this and that because they're important to us but that probably i'm not I, you know because i know aaron your wife is in the room the second most important date in your, in your, You're smart, in your right? life <laughs> yeah i've been married 40 some years I, it, it was about five years ago i started figuring it out so, oh wow that's pretty good yeah good luck so that date is something that uh, it, it's almost like you should have it tattooed on yourself. You don't, do you? <laughs> I, I don't. But you know what? What's funny is my my coach, my swim coach, also also uh, has had you know had battled with addiction and things, and he has a date that's very meaningful for him tattooed on himself. And I and I have this tattoo right here. Actually, it's like from like when I was in like grade ten or something. This is my friend did it in his basement. <laughs> And I thought, I never, I always, you know, it's like, it's just bad tattoo. If you can't tell, it's a really bad, it's a hand-drawn tattoo. 
But I always thought, you know, I, I want to keep it, but I want to add something to it to remind me, you know, the reckless abandon or whatever of, of when you're younger. And that's actually a really good idea that, to add that. That would be a really cool to, to make that a more meaningful tattoo. So thanks for the idea. I think I'm going to do that. Well, what's interesting <laughs> is people use, people use different types of drivers every day to get out of bed, to go do that big workout, to try to win, to do well at their job. And sometimes drivers are tattoos. Sometimes drivers, I mean, what do you think your number one driver is to do what you're doing today? What, what, what's inside? What, what's burning inside Lionel that says, you know, damn it, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go do better today than I did yesterday. What's that driver for you? I mean, that has changed over the years. In the beginning, in, in November 5th, 2009, what woke me up was, I want to get out of this place as fast as I can. I want to go in the opposite direction of where I am right now as fast as I can. And that was my driver for, for a long time, actually. I would say probably three years. And there's books written on it, like, you know, positive addiction. I, I basically replaced a negative addiction with a positive addiction. <clears throat> but over time, I started to realize, you know what I mean? I don't necessarily want to be addicted to this thing because what happens if I lose this? What happens if I'm unable to do this? Am I going to go back to that negative addiction? And so, so then I started to have to, you know, do introspection and find out, you know, how do I do this in such a way that if I am unable to do this anymore, that I won't go back and I've made good, you know, mental changes and physical changes in my life that will, that will keep me on a good path forever. And so, um, that's probably actually what created the next series of, of, of motivators. And, um, you know, for me, it happened actually, interestingly in St. George in 2014, it was my second, my third pro race. It was also the, 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 uh, North American yeah. championship. You had Jan Ferdino, uh, Brent McMahon, Tim Don, uh, I mean, you had all the best guys then all in their prime too. And I went to it thinking, you know, I'm going to contend with these guys. And I, that couldn't have been any further from the truth. I got 18th place, 10 minutes off the pace. I got beaten <laughs> in all three disciplines. It, it, it seemed like there was no way that I could ever contend with these guys. And I had that experience. It came, it called into question, what am I doing this for? Cause I felt like a complete bag of garbage, to be honest with you, after the race. And I went for a run out in a beautiful red rocks in, in St. George with my mom. And I basically said like, has triathlon really become this for you? Like you feel bad about yourself right now. Like you, it's, just, it's actually become negative in a sense. And I said, you need to fix this right here and right now. And so literally out there running with my mom, I came to this conclusion and I fixed it right then and there. And I said, from now on, you only do this to do your best. And on the day, you all, the only thing I ever want from you ever again, no expectations whatsoever other than to give me your best on the day. And I don't care what that, it has nothing to do with your place. It has to do with, even if you screw your nutrition up, get a flat tire, go down the list. I still want you to do your best and finish to the best of your ability with the cards that you're dealt on the day. And that right then and there, my perspective changed. And I've, I've followed that for the rest of my career. A, a weight had been lifted from me. And, and now I would say that that is my motivator. That is what's driving me is I haven't reached, I haven't given this endeavor my all. I've had, I've had glimpses of giving it my all. I've had great seasons, great performances and stuff, but I still haven't put it all together and done my absolute best and cross dotted the I's, crossed the T's. 
Um, and so now that's the pathway I'm on. That's the journey I'm on. And you learn about yourself and you learn, you know, I need to put certain safety valves in so that you don't make certain mistakes. You know, I have this tendency, for instance, to go off on these tangents. And I did that a few times. And so I, I basically, I had to hire my coach, David Tilbury Davis to basically be the bird's eye view and make sure to analyze all the things I'm doing so that I don't go off on these tangents and, you know, even for instance, in, in Daytona, uh, we did a race in Daytona in December mm -hmm. and I, I wore like a, the wrong, I shouldn't have worn this suit. And I had just made a, you know, a couple of errors. And so what's the safety valve we put in place? Well, now before every race, I have like a checklist. I have to basically submit the week before the race, every choice <laughs> I'm making the, the, the suit, the tires go down the list, my nutrition strategy, everything needs to be submitted. And then after the race, you do a post-analysis and did I do everything that was on the list that was submitted and approved? And so anyways, these are all the safety valves and you learn these over time. But that I'd say what is, is what is motivating me now is to just do my absolute best, not in like a corny sense or something, just like right. truly give this sport, if you're going to do it, devote yourself to it and do your absolute best and see where you can go. And if I can win Kona, then great. And if I can't win Kona, but you did your very best, then I'm fine with that too. No problem. Uh, that is a philosophy I think is going to take you long beyond your racing years, Lionel, because life is, has these segments in it. And we're in a great segment right now, but 10 years from now, you'll be in another segment. And, uh, and if you have children, I mean, to be able to pass that on, it's, uh, there's nothing better in life. But I do have to say something to you because I know another motivator, motivator is your mom, Becky. And I, I was, she did St. George. I was shocked you didn't slow down and wait for her. That would have been the, <laughs> that would have been the greatest excuse in the world. Hey, my mom's doing the race. I get to run with my mom in the race. <laughs> we did that. We did that in Boston once. Boston yeah. 2017. We actually, uh, I did my long, we started together. I did my long run for like 20 K and then I, you know, have you ever, have you done Boston? No, I have not. Have it's not. a really cool race. Yeah. There's like, they got like, give out freezies and stuff on the side. So yeah. I ate freezies for like 15 <laughs> minutes. Then she caught up to me and then we ran the final 15 K or whatever it was together. And it was a great experience, but she yeah, would get is. very mad at me. If I, if I waited for her, I can tell you that she's, she's pretty into this stuff too. And, uh, she would not, she would not approve of that. Yeah. She'd say, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. She'd be yelling at you. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on everyone. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Even after 40 years on the microphone at thousands of events welcoming hundreds of thousands of athletes to the finish lines, I am still in awe by the incredible endurance of each and every athlete and what you display. The physical exertion, the sweat, and the challenges you put your body through deserve a level of support that match your dedication. As the official medical supplier for the Ironman US Series, Curiad Performance Series lineups of wraps, tapes, bandages, supports, and braces give you, the serious athlete, and weekend warriors alike, the optimal support needed to keep moving. Including new far infrared kinesiology tape technology, which reduces energy made through body heat, back to targeted areas to help you heal faster and enhance performance. So don't you let sprains and muscle pain hold you back, recover smarter, and shop the entire Curad Performance Series on Amazon. Hey, I want to go back to the two events in my mind. Obviously, the second in Kona was 
was a spectacle. That was just something else. But it was 2015 when you went under eight hours at Arizona. Then you came back in 2016 and went 744. And I thought, uh, you know what? He's, he's here. Yes, it's a flat course. The, the competition was good. But when you turn out those kind of times, is it a, is it a part of your, your, your career where you go, all right, I just went 744 and I broke eight hours and I did, maybe I'm doing the right things. But then all of a sudden life throws you a curveball and you go, well, I, I can't go sub eight hours again. How do you deal with that mentally? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that really is what we're talking about. Right. It's like, I, I was on this good pathway in 16. Yeah. I, I proved to myself, you know, I, I, I had gotten a great shape for 70.3 worlds in 2016 and then had an okay performance there and then did Kona that year. And it was horrible. And I was like, I learned a big lesson because I did all, nothing but speed. And then I was <laughs> like, the theory is I just need to convert a bit of this speed to endurance and I should be able to do a really fast Ironman. And so then I literally, all, that's all I did was, was just do some endurance stuff for like five weeks. And then I went to Arizona in 2016 and I, and I did my lifetime best all around performance really in terms of like mm -hmm. brute numbers. And, and it was all clear to me then. And so then that, that began 2017, which was my best season I ever did. And, uh, I went toe to toe with all the best guys in the world that year. And I won everything except two races. And it was one in St. George to Second in St. George to Alistair Brownlee, who I don't feel super bad about finishing second to him. And and then that second in, in Kona, you know, getting past at mile, whatever it was, 22 or 23, the, the, the brain doesn't remember much of it, but it was so, somewhere out on that run course. And yeah, it was all so clear. But I mean, this is the, the human aspect of it. It was like, I, I you know, I like to call it like second place syndrome because it was like, Instead of just like you got beat by like a half a percent, you know, over the course of eight yeah. hours, you got beat by half a percent. So instead of just finding, you know, a couple of quarter percents here and there, just making little tweaks and coming back and doing it again. Instead, I was like, OK, we're going to change everything. We're going to. OK, David Tilbury Davis. No, you're gone. Sorry, I can do this myself. Okay. I went and raced Yon in, in Oceanside in 2018 and didn't have a great performance. And then I was like, OK. We got to change everything about the bike. Even though I'd had the fastest bike split in like most of the race that I had done over the last four years leading into that, let's change everything. Frame size, tires, wheels, pedals, power meter, every single thing. Let's change all that. Go down the list. These are the things, These are the, this is the second place syndrome at its, yeah. at its finest. And this is the human nature aspect of things. It's like an insecurity almost. And so I went down that pathway for like, you know, I went to Kona that year and yeah. it was, couldn't have been, I, I came in as like the top contender. You know what I mean? I had made it whatever, 23 miles and, and got past at the very end. I couldn't have been anywhere near a contender when it happened, the race in, in 2018. I mean, I was so far off the pace and, uh, and then I got a stress fracture in 2019, which was like the insult to injury. And, and then I was chasing a Kona slot. I, I literally got the last Kona slot available in Montrambon in yeah, 2019. Yeah. It just was not an ideal situation. And went to Kona once again, have no business really. I really should not even have done the race that year, but I just couldn't resist. But anyways, you learn lessons, right? It's, if anything, you'll learn lessons. And, uh, and so I learned a lot. And right after that Kona 2019, the humbling, humbling experience. I really feel like I was nearing death. I was like 17 pounds dehydrated. It was like, oh, one of the worst experiences of my life. I called David Tilbury Davis back and I was like, hey man, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm an idiot. 
will you take me back? And, uh, and so we started working together again and, uh, and then I just started to, you know, I just started to realize like, this is not that complicated. We can, we can overcomplicate this if we want, just do the basics really, really well. Obviously you need to have good equipment, good aerodynamics, but the guys who are winning, the guys who are consistently the best, Jan Ferdino, for instance, Sebastian Keenley, another very consistently consistent performer, they just do the basics really, really well. They train really well, really consistently, and they show up on race day in good shape, not over, you know, not overtrained or anything, just in good shape, firing on all cylinders, hungry, and then they execute on race day. And uh, and I think it's it's you know you're trying to like especially when you're younger, you know what I mean? You don't have a lot of experience in the sport. You try and like reinvent the wheel and like, it's like, ah, these guys have been doing this a lot longer. You ain't going to do anything. Like you're not going to figure something out that these guys haven't figured out that Ferdino hasn't figured out the very, at the very best, you'll know most of the things he knows and you'll be able to do the things he does, but that's about it. So, um, so that's kind of, that's kind of was the, the pathway and that's kind of, the, the conclusions anyway I came to over that little that little uh, speed bump there it's it's almost like that the 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 Lionel talking to Lionel happens more than you talking to anybody else <laughs> because you have to go there because if you don't and you can't solve your own problems then nobody else can do it for you yeah yeah you need I, I think anyone I think this goes for just about anyone you need someone kind of third person looking in analyzing what you're doing because if you don't have that then you have you know what i mean you're just if you go down a pathway you're like oh yeah this is a good idea right but you don't you don't critique yourself right yeah, and it's like yeah. you need someone looking in saying like had i had david for on my on my side in 2018 after oceanside you know one of the things for instance was i switched power meters i switched power meters that power meter read 30 watts higher than the meter i had used the year before so i pushed the same power that i did the year before but it actually was 30 watts less than i pushed the year before which all of a sudden now you do the numbers on that all of a sudden now i'm catching Ferdino in 2018 in oceanside and now we're running toe to toe like i had imagined and which made sense to me. Now, all of a sudden, I don't screw the whole season up. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, these yeah. types of things, these lessons that someone more more impartial looking in can analyze and see and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Why would you change all this stuff when literally it was it was it was like a user error type thing? And and let's let's go to another race before we change everything um, and and find out if this is true that you've suddenly regressed several years or or maybe we do need to go and change everything but at least you know you have someone critiquing those types of decisions and i think that's very important right well you've been a part of the sport for a good amount of time and you've seen a lot of things on both sides of the fence with the pro side the age groupers the business of of triathlon and as you know the men's and women's dynamics and roles and in, in sport is changing and workplace you know everything's being redefined how do you think how do you think the sport of triathlon is doing with the diversity side and making sure that we're all encompassing because uh, we all want more people to come into our sport from no matter what backgrounds? How do you think our sport is doing? What kind of grade would you give us? We're doing good from an inclusivity side. Absolutely. I've never really been to a triathlon and felt like every triathlon I've ever been to, I felt, you know, arms wide open welcome. I've never felt any type of elitism or anything like that in a, in a triathlon. Fortunately, uh, unfortunately it's expensive, very, very expensive. And that, uh, you know, obviously it's good if you, if you make your money from the industry, obviously 
as I do, it's good in a sense, but to make it bigger, you know what I mean? To make it a mainstream kind of sport, we need to figure out ways to allow more people entry into the sport. And so for future, you know, how can we figure that out? How can we get more people into it and, and I guess bring down the barriers to entry? That's kind of something for our, for our future development we need to figure out. And, and I don't have the answer for that. Um, so... I, I I don't know if anybody does, but working on it is working on it hard uh, with all the factors together is is probably the best answer we can give right now, which a lot of people are. So tell us about the PTO and what you think they're not only doing for you as pros, but for the for the sport itself, Lionel. Yeah, the PTO has been great. I mean, it's been it's been a long time coming. You know, we've been. I think one thing that seems to be changing, and I, and I see it in my own, like for instance, in my, our YouTube channel that we're, mm-hmm. the last couple of races, we've done like a race week series. And something that I, I think, you know, was the case for quite a while is it was kind of like, because the pickings are so slim, we're all kind of against each yeah. other. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're all fighting for the scraps. But unfortunately, uh, because it's only scraps, we kind of have to band together and we kind of have to look at it as, as we're, we're kind of one, one unit, the pros. And, uh, and so that, that I believe is what the PTO has kind of come in and said, you guys got to stop thinking about each other as it, don't get me wrong on the race course, we are individual entities, but the sport is so small, relatively small that professionals need to come together and be, you know, sort of a voice of one. And, and so that, and I do believe the PTO, I've seen it, because like I said, in my YouTube channel, guys are much more interested in coming onto the channel and doing guest appearances. And even you came onto the channel and did a guest appearance, which yeah. I which I thank you for. That was our best. Man, that was gold. You had some gold on that one. He got me coming, <laughs> got, got me coming off a workout. I loved it. Yeah, it was great. You had the Gatorade chest and everything. It was great. <laughs> couldn't have been any better. I couldn't have planned it any better. <laughs> but uh, that's what the PTO, I believe, is the mission. Of course, you know, what, what is the business model? What is like, where are we headed? We don't know. I mean, we don't, we don't really know. Um, I see that there's an appetite for professional sport just through my own, like I can only speak from my own experience. And I, and you know, our last series with St. George, we had, mm-hmm. I think we're over 600,000 views in, in whatever it was a week ago or something. Yeah. We have 600,000 views, which I mean, we're not doing, uh, you know, some of these YouTubers and stuff <laughs> you see is insane. This is uh, the view viewership, but I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's a niche kind of sport, you know, and it's not like a, a mainstream type sport. Now, do I think that it couldn't be, do I think it could be? Absolutely. We have all the makings of a, if cycling is on TV for three weeks, every summer, there's no reason yeah. why we can't have four or five triathlons on the, on the TV every year. Uh, and people be really interested in them. So I think it's just a matter of figuring out like, what does this look like? You know what I mean? Now that we are sort of coming onto the same page. And we, we're all talking and we all want to make this bigger and attract more people and get more people into it and, uh, make it better for everybody. Um, you know, we, we have to, we just have to keep going down this path that we're on and PTO's doing a good job. Uh, Ironman's doing a good job too. Um, we, you know, St. George was excellent. We had a live stream of the race, which is excellent. Uh, I think, I think it's, it's good. We need more of that. I think we've, we've had a role in that. You know what I mean? I think Texas was also a really good race. There was no live stream. I think a lot of people were mad that there was no live stream and all of a sudden there was a live stream in St. George. So, 
Um, I, I think we're I, I think we're moving in the right direction. This stuff doesn't happen overnight. Like it's 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 taken us however was we at forty something years Iron Man. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it it doesn't happen overnight. But I think we're moving in the right direction. I think all parties are starting to listen, are starting to see the potential, um, and we just need to keep working towards towards making this bigger and attracting more people. And and as we said, bringing down the barriers to entry uh, so that it can be one day a, you know a truly mainstream sport. Yeah. So Lionel, what do you, what do you do when you you want to relax and it's after a race and there's a week after a race? What what's Lionel Sanders do? I mean, you just lay around eating bonbons, or you, uh, what what do you do? Well, I used to see in two thousand in two thousand eighteen and nineteen. Here's another thing that should have been analyzed. I was getting into <laughs> golf. I, I was getting into golfing. That's and, right. And. Uh, I had the uh, the Canyon guys come out, and I told them like the, the you know the head sports guys come out, yeah. and I told them, oh yeah, I like play golf three times a week or something. They're like three times a week, these guys see pro athletes of all different sports all the time. They're like playing golf. Aren't you a professional? Aren't you a professional triathlete? How do you have time to be playing golf and the mental energy and you know it's just a complete waste of time. Really, that's what they. <laughs> that's what it seemed like they were thinking. And it took me a couple of years to figure that out. I was sucking at golf and sucking at triathlon at the same time. So you can only focus on what you can only do. And my, I anyway can only do one thing well, which happens to be the combo of three things, but I can only do that well. So I had to get rid of the golf. So now after the races, I do like to go play a couple of rounds of golf and still be horrible at it, but you know, be better at triathlon anyway. Well, so that, yeah, that's usually what we do. Or, or it could have been a thing where you didn't want to suck at two things at the same time. <laughs> exactly. That, that's what was happening. <laughs> I'll just do. I'll just do that one thing. <laughs> I love it. Hey, who's uh, who's your? You have a mentor or somebody you look up to or people you talk to that set you straight. I'm sure your mom is is one of them. But you know, we all have those people in our lives that what I call that set us straight. Do you have that type of? You know, well, my mom, my, my mom and dad have a very close relationship with, so they always, uh, you know, if I have things that I need to discuss that I don't know the answer to, you know, whatever, uh, uh, mental type decisions, then I definitely go to them for the feedback. My wife, of course, uh, yeah. she gives me the feedback unsolicited or solicited. Um, and then David Tilbury Davis, of course, he, he, mm-hmm. I, he's my mentor. He's my, he's my, my coach. Um, my, my, my good friend Talbot Cox, who does all of our YouTube yeah. stuff. I, you know, I always bounce ideas off him. And then from like an ath- athletic standpoint, who's had the, the biggest impact on my career in terms of like information exchange and value. I would say Sebastian Keenley. He's given me like wow. many, many times he's given me it just, you know, one sentence, but it's yeah. has like literally a, a lifetime's worth of knowledge in the sentences and you know, the most, the most, uh, one that I, that I remember, I was at the Oakley house for the first time. I think it was, it was, uh, I think it was Kona 2014, maybe 15, but you know, I thought it was so cool. I got invited <laughs> to the Oakley house, you know, it's like, oh, finally I'm making it. And, uh, Keenlay was the guy before me. And so, you know, I had never met him before and I, you know, you know, we talked for a second and then as he was leaving, he said, Hey Lionel, stop doing an Ironman every day. And I was training, overtraining so insane that year. And I literally had done 10 four-plus-hour bike rides that everyone was between 300 and 330 watts average for four hours. So so all my best Ironmans that year happened in practice, not in races. 
And he just gave me that little tidbit and it transformed my, my thinking that it's like, okay, so if Keenley's not doing this kind of stuff, then maybe I shouldn't either as he's probably the most consistent Kona performer of anyone. Uh, and he, and then he was the champion in 14. Uh, so, so he, he, from a, from a, you know, informational standpoint, he's had the biggest impact. And then, and then obviously, uh, Jan Fredino from a motivational standpoint has had the biggest impact. I don't know who, who wouldn't answer Jan for their, for their, uh, motivation standpoint. Yeah. Well, no, no kidding. And, and it's, it's interesting because what I find so refreshing about our sport line is the top professionals well, sure, your competitors, you're going after one another. It's mano a mano. You know, you you want to win, you want to come out on top. But it's amazing the information they share with one another and how cordial everybody really is, and and can have those conversations and then and then go to battle the next day. I just love that about our sport. I think it's very unique uh, yes. in that standpoint. It it is very, uh, um, as you say, yeah, it's like a gentlemanly type sport. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, when the gun goes, I mean, it's, 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 these guys want to kill you. One, one notch under wanting to kill you. You know what I mean? Like without, <laughs> they want to kill you without touching you. That's, that's about it. Um, but, but yeah, it's really cool. After the race, you know, I did Miami with, with Jan and it's the first time I really got to like have some time after. And we chatted for probably an hour and it was great. And he's a really great guy. And I get mm-hmm. why he's huge. I get why he's so good. The, all these things. And, um, and yeah, I don't, I can't think of too many sports where you, the guy who just beat you, who you want to literally, I've devoted my entire life to trying to beat where you sit down and chat and talk about training and, and life for an hour afterwards. I, I can't, I, I mean, I don't do any other sports, but I, I would imagine that's not too common. So I, I think that is a really cool thing about our sport. It, it is. It, it's very cool. Have you read a book or anything lately to motivate you? Do you like to read? I love to read. I, I am reading a book right now, and, and it's funny that you what say that it? because what? it was uh, what is the title? It's uh, do, mastering the basics. Basically, that's the title. It's like a Zen book. Oh, uh-huh. but as we were talking about, as the lessons that I the the main lesson I've learned over the years is it's, this is not that complicated. Just yeah. do the basics right, and you will do really really well. Well, maybe maybe on the bottom of that tat right there we could put master the basics <laughs> i need i need that one up my forearm just so yeah, I, yeah. I, every day I, and i'm looking at it. okay okay three, <laughs> I've, I've been doing three thousand okay no slow down on the watts <laughs> master the i would put if i were to get one on my forearm i think i would get like which i wouldn't but if i was gonna get one on my forearm, i'd get like limits are created in the mind that's what i would put limits are created in the mind well i, yeah. I read something else you wrote too about you know, of, of, of having an addiction and, and pulling yourself out of it, that in the end, you're going to become even a greater human than you were before when you went into it. It's almost like some people have to experience that low so that they can have the higher highs. And I think you've, uh, you exemplify that and, and it's honorable and, and it's something that we all look up to it really is Lionel. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. I mean, I wouldn't recommend going down that pathway. I think you can learn. You can learn everything you need to learn without, uh, you know, going going down to those darker places. But uh, you know, I mean, you can't regret. You know, what's the saying? You don't regret the things you do. You regret the things you don't do. So, 
Uh, I, you know, I try and live by that. And, and yeah, I mean, I try and find the positive of some of the decisions I made in the past. And I try and write those. I influenced a lot of people negatively back then. And I, re- I have regrets about that. And, and I've tried to go to the other side. It's been the motivator on the other side of it to try and influence people in a positive way. So for better or worse, that's where I'm at. And that's how I'm wired. Well, it's a good wire, let me tell you. Our last question on find your finish line, I call it tri-table racing. In the off-road racing in the Baja, I've got friends that you know race the Baja. They call it bench racing, where you sit around the picnic table or the bench or the kitchen table after the race, and you reminisce with other people that did the race. You know, a lot of age groupers do that, and obviously you sat down with Jan in, in Miami. So give us a memory of, a, of an event. It could be funny. It could be sad. It could be something you saw on the race course. You go, what the hell was that? You know, it, it could be anything. Give us a memory of a race as if we're reminiscing around the table. Oh, man, Mike, I've had so many fun experiences. I mean, I start from the beginning. I've had so many fun experiences, so many great experiences in racing. I mean, this, this sport is my life. It's changed my life. I mean, that Kona 2017 finish line was pretty cool <laughs> when when uh, when I saw Patrick at the finish. And I remember such a weird just shows how we're all wired differently and what motivates us is different. and What makes it fun and cool. And I remember I had no negativity whatsoever. I crossed that finish line and I saw Patrick and I just was shocked full. Like, I don't know, even know how to describe it. it wasn't anger. It was just like pure adrenaline. And we. We embraced and we, yeah. we, 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 we hit hands and hugged. And I remember just looking at him thinking, I just want this guy to punch me in the face right now. <laughs> like, honest to God, that's, that's what I was. I just wish you would punch me in the face right now. Cause if he did, I'd be like, again, again. <laughs> and that was that, but that was what I was feeling. That was like yeah. where I was. And, and it was, it was just, a, it was just it, the closest thing I think to like pure adrenaline that you, that a human can experience. I was experiencing in that moment and I just wanted him to transfer energy to me in some way. And that seemed like the, the, the only way it could be done. So I don't know. He probably is like the complete opposite how he felt, but that's how I was in, uh, in my head. So that's a weird story. That, that, but it's a good, weird, <laughs> it's a good, weird story. I, I love that. I do remember the embrace and you coming in and yeah, you know, when two people come in like that, first and second, it's almost like they both have won, and the crowd is just an adoration of it, and, and you know that feeling. So hopefully one day I'll be calling you in number one. <laughs> it don't matter if it happens, Mike. I'm I just going to keep I doing know. what I'm doing. I'm going to keep giving my life to this and, and do my absolute best, and if it happens, it happens, and if it don't, it don't, and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it either way. Well, there's no better philosophy than that, Lionel. So, hey... I know you're busy. I know you're training. I know you're doing so many things in your life. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on this podcast and giving us your time. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be inspired by your stories so that they can move forward to be a better them. Well, thanks, Mike. And uh, I wish you the best in the podcast. And I'm going to be tuning in regularly. (laughs) All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. Take care of yourself. (laughs) Aloha. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me on Find Your Finish Line, presented by Curad Performance Series, the official medical supplier of Ironman. Wherever you watch a podcast, you can pick this up, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, or my website, MikeRiley.net. So, hey, keep in mind, we have control over one thing and one thing only. That's our attitude. A lot of other influences try to come our way. Push them away. Take care of your attitude. It'll take care of you and get you to your next finish line. As always, everyone, my warmest aloha. Take care of yourselves.